Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, conservative leadership candidates weigh in on whether or not they'll attend the Pride Parade. Maybe the best idea is for them to get it on the table now and get it out of the way so they can clear social issues off the agenda before the actual vote takes place. Who will benefit from the Liberals' new income tax cut? The PBO released a report on the Liberals' $6.9 billion tax plan. And guess who benefits most? The wealthiest 10%. And what will happen to more than 100 Canadians in China who have sought consular help amid the coronavirus outbreak? We need to understand their medical condition, their specific wishes, but in order for us to have a tailored response to the Canadians which are there, which are seeking assistance, we do need to talk to them, assess their condition. It's Wednesday, January 29th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald, Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. So let's talk about the conservative leadership race. Uh, the, the candidates were all being asked about whether they would march in a pride parade. Peter McKay actually issued a statement about it. He says he will march in the Toronto pride parade. Aaron O'Toole, though, is saying he won't unless the police can march in uniform. Uh, and O'Toole was also going after McKay yesterday, saying that he would turn the conservatives into, the, into a lighter party, kind of an equivalent of the liberals, if he's the leader. It's, it seems like, even though I, I think most people perceived Aaron O'Toole as a progressive conservative, that he's trying to stake out the, the sort of right-wing position in the party going forward. Well, you know, I think there's a, an opportunity there for some candidate who wants to get out into that part of the uh, of the conservative uh, base, you know, the the, yeah. uh, the constituency that's out there for that party. Uh, you know, if McKay and, and others are perceived to be uh, sort of milquetoast Tories or liberal, uh, you know, conservative light or neoliberals or some darn thing, um, that is going to provide, uh, you know, operating space for somebody, Aaron O'Toole or someone, to stake out a more, uh, you know, a position further to the right on some of these issues. And um, but you know, it, it is interesting that uh, you know here's this party that is supposed to be all about, uh, you know, saving money and fighting taxes and doing all that, and just lost an election in, in large degree or to some degree because of the inept way it handled social issues and uh, uh, now maybe going back into the quagmire again. I don't know. Maybe the best idea is for them to get it on the table now and get it out of the way so they can you know, clear that as an issue, clear social issues uh, off the agenda before the actual vote takes place. It may be better for the, uh, for the party longer term. Yeah, it strikes me that uh, if the if the conservatives are still talking in the next federal election campaign about whether their leader defends and supports LGBTQ rights, uh, it, it's not going to be a good campaign, right? No, and it, and it's just going to be why are you know voters are going to go? Why are these guys still on this? I mean, haven't they moved on like the rest of the country? And they'll just seem painfully out of touch, I think. And you know, it's they complained bitterly through the election that the media was totally behind all this. There was no issue. It was all the media beating up on poor Mr. Shear. And now it turns out, once given a chance to just talk amongst themselves, they're still talking about it. So, uh, you know, there are unresolved issues in that party, and you know, they need a thorough, you know, thrashing of the issues to get them, you know, in their place. I mean, the NDP and the Liberals. 
I mean, even the People's Party doesn't have an issue with that because people know where they stand, you know. So it's, um, it's, a, it's a bad situation for the conservatives right now, but they do have time to, to get it sorted out and get everybody on the same song sheet before, uh, before they do any more damage. As of now, do you see this as Peter McKay's uh, uh, leadership race to win, that, uh, that he's the, the uh, presumptive uh, choice unless something dramatic happens? Well, he's, got the, he's, he's the best-known candidate um, out there at the moment. Uh, Aaron O'Toole, uh, I mean, he's, what, his second, his, I think he was first elected in 11, wasn't he? And anyway, he's, he's not been a, a major name. He's not known across the country. I mean, sure, he can get out there and, and, and make a name and, and hit the road and, and go to all these Legion halls and, uh, and places like that where you can drum up uh, support from the conservatives. But it's, uh, um, you know, he's still got a ways to go. So I guess the name recognition alone, uh, although, you know, Mark, I think sometimes we do tend to frame leadership contests in the way we look at general elections. Um, everyone in the Conservative Party knows who Aaron O'Toole is. Right. You know, all the Tories know each other, so to speak. So it's a different kind of thing, and perceptions can be a little bit different on the outside from what they are on the inside, quite a bit different. All right, let's turn to the Liberals' tax cut. And uh, we have news from the Parliamentary Budget Office that it's actually going to help some people in the highest uh, earning bracket in this country, uh, and it's going to cost more money. And uh, So do you think this is going to achieve what the Liberals set out to do? Well, it helped them get reelected. Uh, mm. So in that sense, yeah, it, it, it is achieving what the Liberals set out to do. Um, you know, if you read through the numbers, uh, you know, a couple hundred dollars, uh, you know, for a middle class family uh, is not going to change people's economic situation overnight um, or, or have a great you can't go buy a new car based on this tax cut. Um, but anything that reduces taxes helps the liberals with their sort of uh, big tax, big spend reputation that they've uh gathered over the years and um uh, you know and and it does you know it does kind of take a a talking point away from the conservatives who like to portray themselves as the tax cut uh uh party uh but you know it, it looks like you know they they asked the PBO the parliamentary budget office to look at the tax cut uh, with one set of rules for the election campaign and now they're looking at it with a broader uh, perspective, and they're seeing uh, that it's going to cost more than had been predicted in the Liberal platform. But, um, you know, I'm never surprised to hear these things. We should mention that uh, Donald Trump is expected, according to a report by the Canadian press, to sign the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement today, NAFTA 2.0, which, of course, clears the way for the Liberals to introduce a bill in the House of Commons to implement NAFTA. And uh, and we're not expecting uh, that, uh, that there will be any issue with getting that passed. It might take a little bit longer than they hope. But uh, are we finally at the finish line on, on uh, this new trade agreement uh, for North America? I, you know, I think so, uh, you know, for the time being anyway. I mean, uh, you know, getting Trump on board, of course, was always uh, the trickiest part because uh, with him flailing around and, and changing positions and demanding things, 
uh, you know, it's a very tough negotiation situation. Uh, the Liberals spent most of their last mandate or a good chunk of their last mandate dealing with this issue. It was job number one for the Trudeau cabinet. Um, and it produced a lot of other interesting things. I mean, Christia Freeland emerged as a real political superstar and uh, as the heir apparent to the leadership of the Liberal Party on some levels. Mm. Um, so you don't always see these things coming. Um, you know, so there are opportunities often in adversity. Um, but, I, you know, there, I don't think there's going to be any big issue getting this thing ratified in, in Parliament. Everybody, I think, wants to put it behind them. Why poke the bear with a stick yet again? And, um, you know, nobody really won in this. It's not that much different. And, uh, you know, as a result, uh, I don't see why it would, uh, you know, life's not going to change because we're under NAFTA 2.0. It's going to, things are going to carry on. Right. Uh, but life could have changed if uh, if there wasn't a NAFTA anymore, that's for sure. Well, exactly. The, the yeah. only danger was in not getting a deal. Right. All right. Uh, let's talk about how the government is handling the coronavirus outbreak. And uh, attention is now shifting in part to the Canadians who are in the affected area where the outbreak began in China and what support will be given to them, how and when they will be brought home. Yes. Well, now there's some other countries have already started flying people out. Japan and the U.S. Uh, have sent in planes to uh, Wuhan uh, area uh, to get their nationals out. Uh, the Australians are talking about, of course, the weird way they're going to do it. The Aussies are going to fly people out and then put them on an island in the middle of the ocean until they're clear of any symptoms. Um, I, you know, I can't see Canada doing something like that, but I can see them uh, getting organized. I, I, one number I saw was they think there maybe 125 or 126 Canadians uh, in Wuhan, so, you know, that they know of anyway, so there, there could be a few more, a few less, I suppose. Uh, but that doesn't sound insurmountable. Uh, it's just difficult to operate there now with all the uh, uh, restrictions that are in place due to the uh, quarantine. Yeah. All right. We'll see what happens there. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. Well, thanks for the call. That's Dan Legere, author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald. I can't stand by and hope someone else will do the job that needs to be done. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason argues Peter McKay's campaign rollout has been nothing short of disastrous. Mason writes... McKay's new ad has been widely derided for being the kind of vapid refrain intended to sound good, but that actually means nothing. And in the course of interviews, he has made a point of contrasting his manliness to the prime minister's, saying he liked staying active by playing hockey, in contrast to the PM, who prefers yoga. If a macho image is deemed important, McKay is in trouble already. When you're talking about wanting a cage match with the sitting prime minister to prove who's the baddest political dude in the country, you've got problems. In an editorial, the Hamilton Spectator argues, the Tories need more leadership candidate options. The Spectator writes, there were signs the Tories wanted to modernize their approach, but the optimism was short-lived after the party revealed measures to raise the bar on who can run. Candidates would need much more money and more tangible support. Clearly, the intention was to discourage fringe players and keep the race small and tightly focused. But it also had the effect of discouraging new faces and tipping the scales in the direction of the existing establishment. 
In an editorial, the Toronto Star cautions against scapegoating a specific community over the coronavirus. The Star writes, The health risk to the public is low, but there's another risk, and the early indications aren't as positive. That's the risk that fear of coronavirus will spread faster than the disease itself, and that the fact it originates in China will rebound against Chinese communities in Canada. Alarmism can spread quickly, and already we are seeing plenty of negative stereotyping of Chinese communities on social media. Now, let's look at what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Foreign Affairs Minister François-Philippe Champagne and Health Minister Patty Haidu will be speaking as the government prepares to arrange the repatriation of Canadians who are trapped in the regions of China afflicted by the coronavirus. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, today we should find out more details of the possible repatriation of Canadians wishing to come home from the coronavirus-affected areas in China. Yesterday, for example, Foreign Affairs Minister François-Philippe Champagne announced that 250 peoples have now registered with Canadian consular authorities in China to let them know of their presence in the quarantined region. Of those Canadians, he said approximately 126 wish to be brought home. So Canadian authorities are now exploring what air transportation is available, which will involve either sharing an existing airliner chartered by another country or organizing an aircraft of our own. Also, the logistical challenges could be great, including negotiating passage for those Canadians by Chinese authorities who have imposed the quarantine on the entire region. The Canadians will have to be assessed for their own state of health, as Chinese authorities will no doubt want to be reassured that they are not going to be letting sick people leave or spread contagion. We'll have to await all of that information. And meanwhile, back here in Ottawa, another development. The House of Commons Health Committee will hold its first meeting since the election. So that'll include the regular business of electing a chair, vice chairs, etc. for the committee, but then getting down to the immediate pressing business of an emergency briefing on the latest on the coronavirus situation. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will attend the Liberal Caucus meeting and question period. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, January 29th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.